So there's evidence that they may actually be helpful for weight loss. Why? Because if you have cravings for sweet foods, sweet beverages, and you don't have something to curb those cravings, you're likely going to have those foods. So you're going to have a higher caloric intake. It's going to be much more difficult to lose weight, right? Whereas having a diet soda might help curb your cravings for things that have a ton of sugar, which can be high in calories. And that doesn't mean that sugar is inherently bad either. Again, it's all dose dependent. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Dr. Joey Munoz show. Today's episode is really exciting. We're going to be talking about the potential health effects of artificial sweeteners, which is, I guess, tends to be a pretty hot topic on social media all of the time, but even more specifically as of recently, because there's been some stuff going on with um, statements that the WHO is making, which we'll go into in this episode here today. More specifically, we're really going to be taking a deep dive into uh, the effects of aspartame as it pertains to risk of cancer development. Uh, before we get into all of that, I just want to let you guys know that I appreciate every single one of you guys so much for tuning into the podcast every single week. I've been reading the reviews that I've been getting on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and it seems like you guys are really enjoying the show, which makes me feel good about my work, right? So thank you all sincerely from the bottom of my heart. One of the things that I've been seeing on the reviews a ton is that you guys really enjoy how practical my show is. I don't necessarily really like spending a ton of time getting into like the nitty gritty details of some of these topics because when it comes to giving recommendations to people and, and helping them really achieve their health and body composition goals, sometimes these like nitty gritty details don't really matter all that much and they add more confusion than anything else. And I think that's where I really like to set myself up or set myself apart from other shows or other podcasts is that I like to be a little bit more of a generalist when it comes to talking about these topics. Um, and I'm happy that you guys have picked up on that and I'm happy that you guys are really enjoying my style as well. So once again, thank you so much. And all of that is funny to say because this episode in particular we're going to be getting into some pretty nitty-gritty stuff when it comes to artificial sweeteners, uh, risk of cancer, and all of those different topics because it's a pretty nuanced discussion, right? And I think that nuance really gets missed on social media because when you make a 60-second video on Instagram, you simply don't have enough time to talk about these topics with sufficient nuance. All right, with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into it. So, why am I talking about aspartame specifically and its risk for cancer development? So some of you may or may not know that aspartame is the main artificial sweeteners in many diet sodas like Diet Coke, for example. It's what allows you to get that sweet taste in diet sodas without it having a ton of sugar, right? So most of these artificial sweeteners, the way they work is that they're actually hundreds, if not thousands of times sweeter to your taste buds than table sugar. So you can achieve a similar sweetness with a significantly smaller quantity of these sweeteners, right? Now, there's a whole host of claims being made that it causes cancer, it causes, I don't know, gut disturbances and issues with this and issues with that. And the truth is that a lot of these claims aren't rooted in hardcore scientific evidence. And the reason we're talking about aspartame and cancer specifically is because there's been a whole um, 
it's been a really hot topic on social media. I'm not sure if you guys follow all of this stuff on social media, but recently the IARC, which is the International Agency for Research on Cancer, which is essentially a branch of the WHO, the World Health Organization, classified aspartame as a class 2B carcinogen, okay? So that means that it is possibly carcinogenic, okay? And people have taken that and just all over social media saying, this is why you shouldn't have diet soda. It causes cancer. I told you it's bad, etc." And they don't really even understand what that classification even means, right? And then as of today, and I'm recording this, I think it's July 14th today. Yeah. The, so the WHO has different branches that focus on slightly different things, right? So the IARC really investigates the possible carcinogenic effects of different compounds. And there's another branch of the WHO known as the Joint Expert Committee on Food Additives. And they really investigate the different health effects of different food additives, which includes artificial sweeteners, right? And they just concluded that aspartame specifically is safe within a certain dose, right? And that dose is determined at 40 milligrams per kilogram of body weight per day. And we'll talk about what all of this means. So there's a ton of confusion here, right? The IARC is saying that it's possibly car carcinogenic. The other branch of the WHO is saying that it's perfectly healthy and fine within a certain amount. So it obviously creates a lot of confusion within the general population. And people don't really know what's true, what's not, or it's not even what's true or what's not. It's like what the nuance of these classifications are and how to actually understand this information. Okay, so let's first talk about the IARC's classification. So what does the IARC do? Essentially, the IARC is a committee of experts on cancer research, and they determine whether different compounds or different things may be carcinogenic to humans, okay? And they rank these substances in four different categories. You have group one, which is the thing is carcinogenic, right? There's sufficient human evidence to suggest that the particular compound is carcinogenic, okay? Then we have group 2A, which is probably carcinogenic, which means that there's strong evidence suggesting that the substance may be potentially carcinogenic in humans, although the available data may be somewhat limited. There is class 2B, which means possibly carcinogenic. This is where aspartame has been categorized as, which means that there's some evidence indicating that the substance may be carcinogenic, but it's definitely not strong evidence. It's definitely not strong evidence in humans, for sure. And there's some limited evidence in animal studies, right? And then we have the weakest classification, which is group three, which is not classifiable, which means that there's just insufficient evidence currently to suggest that the particular compound is carcinogenic. All right, so as I mentioned, Aspartame is being classified as a possible carcinogen, which means that there isn't strong evidence in humans to suggest that the compound causes cancer, that aspartame causes cancer. Now, again, the issue is that people take these statements and they run with it and they extrapolate what it means without really reading into the definition of these different classifications. And they go on social media and say aspartame causes cancer and it causes a ton of fear and people start saying that they need to avoid this, avoid that. When in reality, that's not what it means, right? So let's take a couple minutes here to discuss 
what does that classification actually mean? What are some of the limitations of the IARC's recommendations and so forth? So first and foremost, the evidence on aspartame consumption does not imply causation, okay? Again, possibly carcinogenic means that there's limited evidence in humans specifically. When we're going to assess the results or, or the effects of a particular compound in humans, we need to make sure that the evidence that we have, the scientific research available, is conducted in humans, right? Makes common sense. The thing is that most of the research on aspartame is not conducted in humans, and most of the evidence used to classify aspartame as a group 2B carcinogen is based off of non-human data. Okay, so first off, that's the main issue. These classifications are being based off of mainly animal studies. That doesn't disqualify it altogether. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But on top of that, and more importantly, it does not take into account the dose, which may be harmful, okay? It's simply, the IRC is simply looking at a compound and saying, could it potentially cause cancer, right? And we know that pretty much anything can be very harmful depending on the dose. So that's the number one issue with these classifications is that they do not take into account the dose of these substances. For example, some of the compounds or some of the, the things that are classified as carcinogenic or as possibly more carcinogenic than aspartame by the IARC are things like red meat consumption, things like uh, use of an iPhone, right, uh, a mobile device. And obviously, like, we all use our phone day to day. We all consume red meat every once in a while, some of us more than others. And to say that those things cause cancer does not paint the entire picture because you have to talk about the dose, right? How much red meat do you have to eat? How much aspartame do you have to consume? How long do you have to be on your phone or or does your phone have to be on you or in contact with you? Or like all of these different variables that simply are not taking into account when the IRC is classifying some of these substances as carcinogenic or not. Are you tired of spending countless hours grocery shopping, cooking and preparing your meals? I get it. Time is precious and that's where Icon Meals comes into play. I've partnered with Icon Meals to bring you delicious, macro-friendly and high-protein meals that will make it easier than ever for you to achieve your fitness goals. I understand that you may have hesitations over the cost of a meal prep service compared to cooking food at home. But let's face it, how often do you spend more money eating out because you didn't have time to prepare your food at home anyways? With Icon Meals, you not only save time, but you invest in your health. These meals are carefully crafted to be healthier and more in line with your fitness goals than most of the food that you eat out anyways. So why wait? Visit IconMeals.com and explore their wide array of mouth-watering meals. And as a special bonus for listening to this podcast, use code JOSEPH10 at checkout for a special discount off of your order. By the way, you can find all of the necessary links in the description of this podcast. Don't let time be a barrier to your success. Choose Icon Meals and fuel your journey towards a healthier, fitter you. Now, the issue with the claims that people are making is the fact that, first and foremost, the Group 2B classification by the IARC is one of the weakest classifications for something potentially causing cancer, right? You have Group 1, Group 2A, Group 2B, and then non-classifiable. That Group 2B is pretty damn close to non-classifiable, right? So it's, again, possibly carcinogenic, which 
doesn't really mean a whole lot on its own, but people make a ton of radical claims saying that aspartame causes cancer, which again is not accurate. So, so far we've talked about the IARC's classifications, where they're classifying aspartame, what some of the limitations of those classifications are, and some of the claims that people are making on social media, right? The next thing that's really important to discuss is, well, what does the research actually show, right? Because classifying something as a possible carcinogen is one thing, but what does the research on aspartame consumption actually show? That's what I want to go ahead and dive into next. Okay, so I want to separate this section into two parts. First, we're going to talk about the research showing uh, potential harmful effects of aspartame in animals, because again, most of the research showing negative potential effects are in animals, and we'll discuss why that is. And then we'll discuss what the available human research is. Okay, so as mentioned, these classifications are mainly based off of animal studies. And now, there's nothing wrong with animal studies, but animals are not humans, right? So the first issue with extrapolating these results, extrapolating meaning we see potential negative effects in animals and now we're going to say that it's harmful in humans, the issue with that extrapolation is twofold. One, animals, as I mentioned, obviously, are not human, right? So our biology is different. There are substances, there are things that may be harmful to certain animals that may not be harmful to humans and vice versa. That is issue number one. Issue number two, which is the bigger issue, is that the doses used in some of these animal studies are astronomical, okay? And that's because you can take a rat and inject them with an extremely high dose of aspartame and see some negative effects, but that is not translatable to humans at all, right? Like we would never reach those ridiculous doses just from like drinking diet soda on a daily basis. And we'll talk about what those doses are in a second, okay? So there's a ton of animal research showing potential harmful effects of aspartame. Again, the main issue is the doses being used in these studies. So the FDA establishes these guidelines that are called the acceptable daily intakes for different substances. We'll just shorten that as the ADI, acceptable daily intakes. And the ADI is essentially the amount of a particular substance that you can have every single day for the rest of your life and be perfectly fine. No adverse effects. You're healthy. Okay. And the ADI for aspartame is about 40 milligrams per kilogram of body weight per day. For a normal person, that would translate to like 9 to 15 Diet Cokes per day. And you might be thinking like, wow, 9 to 15 is a good amount. Like that's pretty high. Some people might get close to that, but that's a pretty high amount of Diet Coke. And I agree. However, there are some limitations to these ADIs. Okay. And here uh, is where we start to get into the nitty gritty of this stuff. So the ADIs, again, for aspartame specifically, are exclusively determined based off animal research because there simply isn't sufficient human data to establish these guidelines, okay? So the ADIs are determined by another level or by another variable known as the NOAEL or the no adverse effect level, okay? And what that means is 
the absolute highest dose of a substance that you can have without seeing any adverse effects. Okay, so the difference there, ADI is just like, uh, you can have this amount every single day, no problem. N-O-A-E-L is like, this is the maximum you can have in one sitting without seeing anything bad happen. And the ADI is typically 1% of the N-O-A-E-L. What does that mean? So the FDA, for safety reasons, just to be precautionary, they essentially take the NOAEL and they say, okay, 1% of this, of this is the ADI. And that's just the standard way of determining these guidelines, okay? So there's not much scientific rigor there. It's just like, we're going to take 1% of the actual level that we've determined may be harmful and say that this is safe to consume for the general population. So in reality, if we're going to base our recommendations off of hardcore scientific data, we should really be looking at this NOAEL level, right? Because this is the actual amount that's been shown to cause harm in animals. And again, sometimes the biology of animals is different than that of humans, of rats specifically, because most of these studies are, are conducted in rats, but it's the best evidence we have, right? And the NOAEL for aspartame is actually four grams per kilogram of body weight per day. What does that mean? Because I know that number probably doesn't mean absolutely anything for you. Well, for a 175-pound adult, that means they'd have to consume 1,600 Diet Cokes, okay? One Diet Coke has about 200 milligrams of aspartame. Imagine consuming 1,600 Diet Cokes in just one day. It's, it's practically impossible, right? You probably would drown and die just based off of the amount of fluid that you're consuming before you get to the levels of aspartame that may be potentially harmful, so that is really the big issue with these classifications is like, is there evidence that it may cause cancer? Sure, at very high doses in animals. And that second part of the argument is the part that's missed when people talk about these things on social media. That's the part that's missed when the IARC makes their recommendations or establishes their guidelines saying that aspartame is a possible carcinogen. So it's really important to discuss these things in detail so people understand what's actually going on here, okay? So yes, aspartame can be harmful if you have a ridiculous amount of it, which most people don't even come close to. So that is the evidence in animals, right? No doubt, aspartame can cause cancer in animals if you inject them with stupid high doses of aspartame. Now, what does the research actually show in humans, which is what we should be caring about? Okay, so as I've mentioned now a couple of times, the human data is limited, and not only is it limited, results are mixed. Okay, first off, all of the human data is associative, it is not causal. Okay, correlation does not mean causation. Essentially, what that means is that they take large groups of individuals and they essentially look at how much diet soda do you have or how much aspartame do you consume and do you have a higher risk of cancer, right? So there's one study by Debras et al. That's the group of researchers that conducted this study. And, and they looked at the dietary patterns of over 100,000 French adults, okay? And they showed that higher consumption of aspartame slightly increased the risk of cancer development. This is the one study that's been heavily relied on by the IARC to classify aspartame as a group 2B carcinogen, 
Okay. Now, this is one study. There are several others that show the opposite results, and we'll talk about that in a second. But the thing is that these associative studies have many limitations, and we simply cannot imply causation based off of some of these associative studies. Okay, so first and foremost, there's the possibility of confounding variables. What does that mean? Well, there could be other things that people are doing, people that consume high amounts of aspartame, that may be the reason why they have a higher risk of cancer. For example, these could be different lifestyle factors. These can be different health-related factors, right? It might be that people that consume more aspartame also, for some reason, smoke more, right? And they're not looking at the relationship between smoking and cancer. They're simply looking at aspartame and cancer. But since people that consume more aspartame might smoke more, we know that smoking increases the risk of cancer. And that's why we might be seeing this relationship, right? So there's a ton of different lifestyle factors, different dietary factors that simply aren't accounted for in these studies, right? It might be that people that consume more aspartame tend to be more overweight, more sedentary, smoke more, drink more alcohol, etc. And therefore, they have a higher risk of cancer. But that doesn't mean that it's because of the aspartame, right? There's also the possibility of what's called reverse causality. So when we see one, some of these associations, we immediately think, aspartame is causing an increased risk of cancer, but it could be the opposite, right? It could be that people who have a slightly higher risk of cancer, for whatever particular reason, extraneous variables, might be consuming more artificial sweeteners, right? So people who might be at a higher risk of cancer, for example, might be people who have diabetes, people who are obese, people who have cardiovascular disease, and for some reason, those people might be trying to consume more artificial sweeteners because they're trying to avoid sugar. And thus, the relationship exists between artificial sweetener consumption and cancer. But that doesn't mean that it's the fault of the artificial sweetener. It might be quite the opposite. Hey guys, some of you may not know that I'm the scientific advisor for a supplement company called Outwork Nutrition. I help with the formulation of new products to help ensure that they're effective and backed by science. Unlike many other supplement companies out there, we don't rely on exaggerated claims or flashy marketing tactics. Instead, we let the science speak for itself. We take pride in formulating products that deliver real results, helping you achieve your fitness goals in a meaningful way. If you're in the market for supplements like protein powder, pre-workout, or recovery products, make sure to check us out at outworknutrition.com. And as a thank you for being an avid listener of this podcast, use code Joey for an exclusive discount at checkout. You can find the link to our website down in the description of this podcast episode. Remember, our goal is to empower you with science-backed supplements that truly make a difference. Choose Outwork Nutrition and elevate your fitness to new heights. So again, these things I'm just throwing out random examples here here of things that might be influencing these results, but it's the main reason why we cannot imply causation with a correlation-based study. We would need what are called randomized controlled clinical trials where we take individuals and we purposefully give them a certain amount of aspartame and see if adverse effects happen, and that data simply just doesn't exist, right? So aside from this one study showing a slight increase in risk of cancer, there are plenty of other very large-scale studies showing no risk of cancer development in the general population, okay? For example, there's one study published by a group, Jan et al., published this year in 2003, and they published a meta-analysis 
with over 3 million participants. That's way more than 100,000 participants, okay? So I would quantify this evidence as substantially better than the evidence in the French population, right? Simply because there's a much larger sample size, so you're going to see more robust results, essentially. And what this study found is literally no relationship between aspartame consumption and cancer development. No relationship whatsoever, okay? There's another study by Palomar Cross et al. published in 2022, and they also saw no association between aspartame consumption and risk of cancer development. Now, interestingly, and this is why I was mentioning the different confounding variables, and this is why I was bringing up this study specifically. Interestingly, they did a sub-analysis in different populations, and when they looked at the association between aspartame consumption and cancer, specifically in people with diabetes, they did see a slightly higher risk of cancer development. Now, why could that be? Could it be that aspartame affects diabetics differently than it does healthy individuals? Maybe, but it's unlikely. What's more likely the case is that we know that people with diabetes are already at an increased risk for cancer development, okay? It's just that simple. People with diabetes have a higher risk of cancer. People with diabetes are also told to avoid sugar. So they might be more likely to have sugar substitutes. And so those that consume more aspartame may be at a slightly higher risk of cancer, but it's not because of the aspartame. It's likely because of their diabetes and the methods that they're trying to use to manage their diabetes by consuming more non-nutritive sweeteners, right? It's just the association exists, but it's likely because of the confounding variable of that, of the fact that these individuals have diabetes. So hopefully you guys are following along so far. The majority of the associative data looking at the effects of aspartame on cancer development in human simply shows no association. And when you look at certain subgroups of individuals, there may be an association there. But those associations do not imply causation, and there are likely other variables like dietary factors, lifestyle factors, and even the possibility of reverse causality, like what came first, the chicken or the egg? Is it aspartame causing cancer? Is it people that have an increased risk of cancer consume more aspartame? And because of these variables, we simply cannot imply causation, okay? So if we look at the, the totality of evidence in humans, we would still come to the conclusion that aspartame is pretty damn safe, okay? So now the important stuff to talk about is what does this mean for you? Now, when I talk about aspartame being safe on social media, inherently people always say or tell me, why would you be pushing artificial sweeteners? Why are you telling people that they should be drinking this processed junk? And that's not what I'm doing at all. I'm not advocating for artificial sweeteners. I'm not telling you that you should drink diet soda. What I am saying is that based off of the available evidence, we can't say that it's really harmful. Okay. And actually we can say that it's pretty damn quite safe because there's a lot of evidence for the safety of these artificial sweeteners. I know people love to bash on the FDA and say that you can't trust the FDA and you can't trust the government, etc. blah, blah, blah. But these artificial sweeteners have been studied for decades and there's plenty of safety data to suggest that they're not harmful. Okay? So that is what I'm saying. You can consume artificial sweeteners and be perfectly fine. It's not going to kill you. Okay? On top of that, in some contexts, artificial sweeteners may actually be very helpful. 
For example, there's a good amount of data suggesting that artificial sweeteners can actually help promote weight loss and help individuals maintain weight loss. For example, there's a study published by Peters et al. in the Journal of Obesity, and they showed that after one year, people who used non-nutritive sweeteners lost more total weight than people who just drank water, okay? And after losing weight, a year after that, so a one-year follow-up after their initial weight loss, the people who were consuming the non-nutritive sweeteners, aka zero-calorie sweeteners, they maintained the more weight loss, okay? They, on average, maintained 13 pounds of weight loss versus 5 pounds in individuals who only drank water and did not consume non-nutritive sweeteners. So there's evidence that they may actually be helpful for weight loss. Why? Because if you have cravings for sweet foods, sweet beverages, and you don't have something to curb those cravings, you're likely going to have those foods. So you're going to have a higher caloric intake. It's going to be much more difficult to lose weight, right? Whereas having a diet soda might, might help curb your cravings for things that have a ton of sugar, which can be high in calories. And that doesn't mean that sugar is inherently bad either. Again, it's all dose dependent, right? And I think it's really important to highlight this point because we do know that obesity is a major risk factor for pretty much everything. Diabetes, cardiovascular disease, cancer, all-cause mortality, etc. And the detrimental effects of being obese are substantially greater than the potential detrimental effects of consuming artificial sweeteners. So, for people who struggle with their weight, if they can use artificial sweeteners strategically to help them lose weight and maintain that weight loss, you can definitely make a very, very, very strong argument that using artificial sweeteners is actually healthy for them because it's helping them reduce body fat percentage, which is going to help them improve their health and reduce their risk of chronic diseases and all-cause mortality, right? So these topics are really nuanced, guys. I really hate when people just say, this is bad, this is good, without this kind of context, because it's just not accurate information. Talking about all of these potential pros and cons are really important to see the entire picture, okay? Now, for individuals who are already very healthy, and perhaps they're trying to be as healthy as humanly possible and avoid anything that might be slightly harmful, which again, I personally think is pointless because I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that avoiding artificial sweeteners altogether is going to improve your health to any measurable degree. But for those people, if you want to avoid artificial sweeteners, sure, go ahead, be my guest. There's nothing wrong with avoiding them either, right? I just think it's very wrong to say that they're harmful and that they're going to cause cancer because those things simply just cause fear and confusion. It causes people to avoid certain foods for no real reason, or at least for no reason that's rooted in actual scientific evidence, okay? Whether you consume artificial sweeteners or not on a regular basis or every once in a while is a personal decision. And at the end of the day, everybody listening to this, I think, is an adult and you can make your own choices. But guys, please, you know, if you listen to this episode and you were someone who thought that aspartame is really harmful, hopefully I've convinced you that it's not. And hopefully you won't tell other people that it is and that they should avoid it at all costs because it's simply not true. And again, for some people who struggle with their weight, who use artificial sweeteners strategically to help them actually achieve weight loss, they can be a very helpful tool. Anyways, guys, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. 
I've been talking about aspartame for quite some time now. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. If you've listened this far, I would really, really appreciate if you take a second to rate the podcast on whatever app you're using, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever it may be. Rate the podcast and please leave me a review. I love hearing from you guys. I love um, hearing what you enjoy from the podcast. I also really like reading your critiques. If there's something that you don't like or if there's something that you'd like to see me improve or if there's topics that you guys want to hear me talk about, leave that in the review section, okay? Appreciate you guys a ton. If you're listening on YouTube or watching on YouTube, I should say, subscribe to my channel so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you could, like this one. It helps me a ton. All right, everybody. Catch you guys next week. Peace.